Some have called it our greatest battle. What is it? Well, stick around. Find out. We're in Hebrews chapter 3 today, verses 1 through 14. Truth for today, coming up next. From right here in Hercules, welcome. This is Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church and our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard, who has us in a series through the book of Hebrews. The series is called Why Jesus is Best, and today we focus in on this one simple thought, our greatest battle. What is it? Well, it's recorded for us here in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Join us there as we catch up with Pastor Phil Howard for today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Hebrews 3, we want to look at uh, our greatest battle. What is your greatest battle in life? And I think Hebrews 3 touches on it. And it says something like this. Today, if you hear his voice, verse 7, do not... I better get it all. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit is saying, watch that, is saying. Is that a present tense or past? Do you know what he's, uh, the Holy Spirit is saying? He is saying Psalms 95, 7 through 11. Watch this connection. When the Spirit is presently speaking, he is speaking Psalms 95, to the church. Did you know the Spirit is talking when the Word of God is talking? You get folks, I want to hear from God. No, you don't. You're too lazy to read it. I'm trying to get a word from God. I grew up with people like, what do you mean? You, you can't tell me anything about the Bible to start with. Why write a letter to someone that won't read it? But my voice is coming back. Uh, why write letters that people won't read? This is God. The Holy Spirit is talking. And what he's going to say, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked by that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, God made an oath. They shall not enter my rest. Notice verse, uh, let's go down to verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Our greatest battle in life is deciding who we are going to believe. Who do you believe? Talking to Gabe Lopez a while back, I said, what's it like on campus? Tell me about the school experience. What's going on at John Sweat? He said, well, I'll tell you this much, Pastor. Kids don't trust anybody. He said, that is the atmosphere of the campus. Young people, he was making that statement, at least for that group. He felt, I don't think they trust 
anybody. And that is probably one of the biggest battles in life. Who can you trust? Uh, If you don't know, just carry some money that says, in God we trust. Isn't that helpful? They just pray over this as they print that money. Maybe they trust. No, you trust in the 20. You don't trust in God. That's what most people do with that. I trust money, but I don't trust God. Now, we were doing fine in the Garden of Eden. There's no conversation recorded between Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 through 3. Not one word is said to each other. It's never recorded. Matter of fact, she didn't say, would you like some of the fruit? It just said she offered it to him. No, no words. Everything is going good in the garden until another voice shows up. And this voice shows up in a serpent who says, has God really said that? Question what God said. They'd never heard that voice before. It had only been God talking to Adam up to this time. And all of a sudden we got a voice coming through this serpent. Has God said? And Eve started thinking, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I thought he did. That's what I heard from Adam about the instructions about the tree. By the way, uh, we were told that if we eat of this tree, we'll die. Oh, no, 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 no. You won't die. And she's thinking about it. Well, look at that. It looks good. I don't know how it tastes, but I'm hearing a voice that says it won't hurt me. I've never heard this voice before. I've been hearing a voice that says don't, but now I hear a voice that says the first voice was mixed up. He doesn't know what he's talking to. He's a liar, basically. He said it would kill you, but I guess he's lied to me. I choose to believe this voice, and I'll take my chances. And the human race has been dying and paying for it ever since. One wrong choice plunged all of your ancestors and us into death. We all died in a day, according to Romans 5. For we all died in Adam when we made the choice to believe the other voice more than the voice of God. Now, in your life, you've got some voices talking to you. And what was born out of the sin was another voice. So you got God's voice. We've got Satan's voice. And then all of a sudden, you start hearing Adam and Eve. When they talk back to God, he makes inquiry. They said, well, by the way, uh, we feel ashamed uh, since we discovered we're naked. Wait, wait, you've been naked for your whole existence. Why does it bother you now? It tells you the garden had to be fairly well heated. Wouldn't you hate to be in this weather naked? No. This makes you believe in clothes. But why why all of a sudden is there an inner sense of shame? Uh, Something's not right. It, It just doesn't feel right to be totally exposed. Why? Because conscience was born. 
And another voice was born in my heart that approves and disapproves of my behavior. And so now I've got three voices at work. God's voice, Satan's voice, and my conscience, or maybe my heart, if you want to call it that. Now, according to Proverbs, the fool trusts only in his heart. A a thoroughgoing atheist trusts nobody but himself. I only trust me. And then there's another group. They're obeying the voice of Satan without even knowing. They may not even believe in the devil. And he says, I don't care if you believe in me or not. Just do what I say. And then you've got the voice of God. Now, here he's writing to these Hebrews. Believers in there, some had professed faith, obviously. Some had professed it and were being tempted to go back. Because as these uh, Jews were coming to faith, they were being kicked out of family inheritance. They were being kicked out of the synagogue, maybe out of family business, out of the uh, neighborhood they grew up in. They are seen as the enemy. They are seen as turncoats on their own Jewishness. And by the way, get over this myth. When a Jew becomes a believer, they don't cease to be a Jew. When an Irishman puts faith in Christ, by George, they're still Irish. And it's a favorite Jewish trick to say we Christians want them to give up being Jewish. No, no, no. You're going to be as Jew, eat kosher all you want, long as you see the Messiah was Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, observe Yom Kippur. All the, no, no problem with it's embrace Jesus as our Messiah. So he's saying to them, the first six verses, he says, there's two examples you should always be considering. Jesus Christ, consider him in verse 1. And the word for consider means fix your mind on, weigh out Christ. And it was the word, consider the lilies of the field, consider the birds of the air. The idea wasn't just look at a bird, say there's a bird. No, consider, think about what God's doing for that bird, that he maintains it, uh, feeds it, cares for it. Think on it. Think on Christ. He was faithful in God's household. And you love Moses. Well, he was faithful to God. He believed God. He obeyed God. He makes the argument, a favorite argument among the rabbis of lesser to greater. Now, Moses was faithful as a servant and as a member of the household. Jesus was the son who owned the household. He created it. So he says, these two great personages, Christ being the greater, greater than angels, greater than prophets, greater than Moses, They have proved to be faithful. And you are truly believers if you remain faithful to Christ and don't go back. Verse 6, notice it. And we are his house. And house is used of the building and the household. uh, So he's reading, we are members of the household of faith if indeed we hold fast our confidence, and our boasting in our hope. We are really God's children if we continue in our confidence in the gospel and in Christ. If you go back, you lost your confidence, you lost any claim to salvation. Don't go back. 
don't go back. Now, these are the examples he gives. And then he gives the negative example. Don't fall into unbelief like the children of Israel did at Kadesh. And that would be Numbers 14 that describes it. It goes this way. The spies were sent out in chapter 13 of Numbers. Twelve men go out. They spy the land. The grapes are huge. They carry them back on a pole. Others say, it's everything that uh, we thought it would be. Uh, Before the Turks ravished the land, and uh, Palestine has been stripped of its forest so many times. But at this time, it was dairy land. There was milk, honey. That means there's pasture. It wasn't just desert. It was beautiful. Grapes are, are everywhere. It's everything that we thought it would be. By the way, men, give us your report. Well, it is everything he said it would be. It looks glorious. Just two problems. What's that? There's a lot of giants over there. They're big. And we are grasshoppers next to them. And so 10 of us have got together. And you know majority vote is always right. And the majority say, we can't inherit what God promised to Abraham and his descendants. There's too big, too many, and we're too small. And the promise of God evaporates on giants and on small men. We don't believe we can do it. They begin to grumble. They, in chapter 14, decide they want to kill Moses. They want to go back to Egypt. And the people started groaning and mumbling and saying, you brought us out into the wilderness to die. Joshua and Caleb speak up. We can take it. We can take it. God promised it. Let's go for it. Let's believe God. God can keep his promise. And the promised land is a land of rest. We won't be wondering anymore. We've been out in this wilderness too long. Well, the majority of the two million people, especially those over 20 and older, they all said, we go with the 10 spies. We can't enter in. We just aren't going to go for it. And God looked on and he said, you know what? You've ignored my voice. You've hardened your heart to my promise. You've taken the position of stubbornness. You won't obey. To, I, I got you out of Egypt. I opened up the Red Sea. I provided a leader in Moses. Come on. I've been taking care of you. Surely the God that can get you out of Egypt can get you into Canaan. Right? No, is what they said. The God of the Exodus died, and he's not big enough for us to enter into the promised land. God said, okay, since you don't think you can see me fulfill the promise, I'm not for you. I'm going to march you to death, and I want to keep you in this wilderness for 40 years till every man that's 20 years of age and older, we're going to bury you, bury you, and bury you. Oh, by the way, you said not even your, your children would see it. Guess what I want to do? I want to kill you, and I want to see to it your boy goes across. Your children will inherit this land. You could have, but I never reward unbelief. 
I never reward unbelief. If you decide you can't believe me to keep my word and that I cannot keep promises. Bobby Dillon years ago when he wrote Slow Train Coming, he said, God don't make promises he cannot keep. Are you calling the God of Abraham a liar? Yes. Do you refuse to go in? Yes. Well, know this. He's angry about your stubbornness, and he's made an oath. You will never see his rest. You will never see the land. Why in the world is he talking to these, this congregation this way? Because there were people there that were weighing whether they're going to put their faith in Christ or not. They were weighing whether they go back to Judaism or not. They were weighing. They were weighing. They were weighing whether they could trust God or not. Either trust him or don't. I, uh, I don't know if he really is. But I believe the gospel. It said that I would have a home in heaven, that I could enter into God's rest. But I'm undecided, and, and I'm trying to, there's voices, too many voices. The voice of Judaism. The voice that says, go back. And the voice that says, believe me, go into the promised land, and I'll give you rest, for I cannot lie. I will keep my word to you. Well, he makes an exhortation. He commands it. Here are the examples. Great example, Christ. Great example, Moses. The wrong example, Israel at Kadesh Barnea. Now, he says something to them. Verse 12 and 13. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called a day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence, the gospel, firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He gives the positive and negative examples. And then in the Greek language, he used a imperative, and it's a present imperative. I'm commanding you continually be doing this with one another. What should we be doing with one another? Look what he says. Beware that you may be sitting with someone in church right now that is being tempted to have an evil, unbelieving heart towards God, leading you to fall away from God. Well, what should we do? What should we be doing? We ought to be exhorting, which is to encourage, to stimulate, to comfort, to come on. We can, we can do this together. And when should you do it? Every day? Do you need that explained? Every day means every day. That none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The heart, sin all the way back to Eden has deceived us 
killed us and lied to us. One of the great agonies of pastoring is seeing lives go up in smoke. Seeing people who have professed the faith still lose the marriage. Seeing people who profess the faith that uh, abandoned not only this church, but abandoned walking with Christ. And when they died, they were back on the drugs they originally had been saved from. They were back to the bar they originally said they were saved from. They were back to womanizing like they originally got saved from. They went back to everything they used to be. How can it be? Well, the early church knew well the story of Judas, who could travel with Christ for three and a half years and still deny him and bail out, selling for 30 pieces of silver. They knew the story. How do you explain Judas? Jesus must not have been a very good pastor. Let's blame, let's blame somebody. Jesus, you didn't take get very good care of him. He said, I've asked the Father to keep all that are mine. He never has been mine. He's of the devil. He just likes to hang around a religious crowd. It's like some of you. You like to hang out around church. They're kind of nice folks. At least on Sunday, they look good. Kind of safe. A little bit better. Better than the boys club. They knew the story of Demas going back. They knew the story of the four soils where Jesus said some seed will sprout up quickly and it looks like it's the real thing and then the sun of persecution comes and it wilts and it dies and it never bears fruit. Oh, what about that soil that seemed to spring up in rocky ground and it, it, it seemed to be the real thing. It took shallow root but the rocks choked it out. What about that soil that uh, the anxieties of the world, the, the lust for riches and, and the cares of life just came in and whoop, another plant just fell over. Only one of the four bore fruit. The only one that was saved in the picture. The other three shows you that we can have quick conversions short-term conversions, short-term people that seem really happy in this and that. And, and yet, it's not how you begin the Christian life. It's how you finish. Amen. It's not, not saved for a day. Not, oh, I, I'm, no. If you continue, if you continue, and he's saying we ought to be encouraging one another. And you're listening to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. As we close out our broadcast today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the program encourages you in Christ and how this program is being used by you on a daily basis. Are we just a normal part of your radio listening? Do you tap into our resources available at our website? Have you visited our church? These are things we would love to hear from you. Take a moment, call or write to us today. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. 
You're also welcome to visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Take advantage of the resource materials I mentioned a moment ago. We have several. Again, truthfortodayradio.org. You'll also find information about Valley Bible Church right there as well, who we are, what we believe, worship times, services, and directions to the church. We'd love to have you join us, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Again, that's truthfortodayradio.org. If you're writing to us, our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And then as we conclude our time together today, we would also invite you to partner with us. This radio broadcast and the many resources that accompany it are available as you partner with us, as you link arms with us financially and prayerfully. No gift is too small, no gift is too large, and you can do a one-time gift or make monthly pledges. No matter, we'd love to have you be a partner with us as we continue to minister the gospel of Christ to the Bay Area and beyond. So contact us today. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. And you can also donate online at truthfortodayradio.org. That's truthfortodayradio.org. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today. Truth For Today.